Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am here today solo, listeners, but never you fear, because today I am going to bring you one of the most epic warrior broads we have ever covered on this podcast, and her name is Boudica. She's known by several different names, including Bunduka, Bodicea or Bodicea, Budug, Buedic, Voidecha. None of those are necessarily wrong. They're just different historians, spoke different languages. So over the centuries, her name has kind of been through a lot. But Boudica is her most commonly known name. And since she was technically a pre-Celtic Irish broad, it's safe to say that her name in ancient Celtic languages translated to Victorious, which in and of itself is pretty friggin' awesome. So Boudicca's story takes place around 60 or 61 AD. So what in the world is happening around 60 AD, you're wondering? Well, there's quite a bit going on. Christianity at that point had just kind of begun. Jesus likely died slash was crucified around 30 AD. Um, and 60 AD is around the time that Peter from the Bible was writing his first letter, which would eventually become a book of the Bible. Um, this is also the beginning of the Han Dynasty in China. That began around 25 AD. But a lot of the histories, if you look up 60 AD, most of what you're going to see is going to center around some of the most insidious colonizers before modern Europeans, and that is the Romans. Legitimately, if you go and you Google 60 AD right now, the only thing that pops up during 60 AD is Boudicca's Rebellion. So if you weren't excited already, hopefully now you are. So back to Rome. Rome was a pretty dominant power in this time period. The Roman Empire had expanded quite a bit under Augustus. They conquered Wales around 51. And at this point, they've taken France and Egypt, Sudan. Uh, Tacitus, who happens to be one of the primary archivists of Boudicca's story, describes the Roman Empire as, quote, bordered by the ocean or by long rivers. And in the west, it was a literal ocean. And in the east, it was as far as the Euphrates and Armenia. Uh, it's worth noting they never, Romans never really could quite take Germany. They couldn't get past the Rhine. And that's kind of part of why Germanic cultures didn't get so melted into the rest of the Roman melting pot at that time period. So by the time we get to 60 AD, Nero is Caesar. And it's getting close to the end of his reign. And if some of you know a little bit about history, you know that Nero is the one who goes berserk and he kills his wife and his mom and he burns Rome down and kills himself. Like real kind of psychotic stuff. All of that stuff kind of goes down closer to 64. So after Boudicca's story. But I kind of love any opportunity I can have to talk about corrupt and sane world leaders. So there's that. Um, it's also worth noting that Roman soldiers at this time period are pretty much some of the most deadly weapons on the earth at this point in time. They're well-trained and they're very well-armed. And compared to most of the folks they're conquering, they would just kind of go in and smash everybody up. The, the Roman legions were kind of widely feared. Um, and before I go any further, I also want to talk a second about our sources for Boudicca's story, the historians. 
There's two primary sources for Boudicca's story. The first and the and what I consider to be the primary source is Tacitus and his work, The Annals, uh, which he probably wrote around like 100-ish AD. That covered Roman history from the reign of Tiberius in 14 AD to Nero, which ended around 68. Um, it's also worth noting here that Tacitus's father-in-law, Gnaeus Julius Agricola, served in Britain, Britannia, it was called at that time, th- about three times as a military tribune under Suetonius Paulinus, who, spoiler alert, is one of the big leading generals in the story we're about to tell. So probably Tacitus's father-in-law was his primary source for a lot of his writing about Boudicca specifically, because he did write about other stuff as well. Um, And that makes him kind of considered the primary resource for the story. So most of of the versions I'm going to tell you are, are from Tacitus. We also, though, have Cassius Dio, or Dio Cassius, and this guy, this historian, published 80 volumes of history on ancient Rome, beginning with the arrival of Aeneas in Italy and ending with the events in AD 229. And so his his work covers like 1,400 years of Roman history. And his account of Boudicca specifically is considered pretty summary in comparison to some of the other stuff he writes about later. So generally speaking, um, by historians now, his accounts aren't considered the most accurate. He wrote a, a couple hundred years after Boudicca's story instead of right after Boudicca's story. And his sources uh, of, of Boudicca's story are pretty much non-existent. Like, they don't know who his sources were. So ha- having personally read both of their accounts of Boudicca myself, and you can look them up online, and uh, I'll get them posted on the website too, I think. My personal opinion of Cassius Dio's account is that he's super dramatic. He writes extended sequences quoting Boudicca and Paulinus, and quite frankly, they sound like a combo of like Braveheart, Gettysburg, and the 300. <laughs> and... And I kid you not, in Boudicca's speech to rally her troops later in the story here, she goes on and on about how Nero isn't a real man and he's more like a woman because he dresses pretty and plays the liar. And when I read that, I was laughing out loud because it seems like incredibly obvious that the story was written to heavily please someone who really hated Nero, right? And literally, literally, Boudicca would never have met Nero. It's like ludicrous. He was back in Rome and she's in Britannia. So for the purposes of my retelling here of Boudicca's story, I will share some of the things that Cassius Dio says, but not a lot of stuff because a lot of it seems kind of like a load of shit. So let's get right down to it. I mentioned that Rome conquered Wales around 51, and modern-day Wales happens to be where our story takes place. So Rome had conquered Wales, and a bunch of Romans started pouring in, colonizing it and shit. And they established some of the big cities, including Londinium, which you probably guessed would one day be called London. Uh, And they still allowed a lot of the OG tribes that were there when they conquered to be governed by their own leaders, the kings and queens. And the tribes were, generically speaking, still kind of mired in chaos. They often were fighting each other and constantly trying to overthrow their neighborhood tribe, their neighboring tribes, rather. So generally speaking, they weren't 
much of a threat to the Romans because they were too disorganized. And compared to the Roman soldiers, they were too primitive in their fighting and fighting styles and their weaponry. And one of these tribes was called the Iceni or Iceni. And Boudicca was the Iceni queen with her husband, King Prasitagus. Uh, and Cassius Dio describes Boudicca in detail. Tacitus doesn't really. He caught, but uh, Cassius Dio says she was, quote, in stature she was very tall, in appearance most terrifying, in the glance of her eye most fierce, and her voice was harsh. A great mass of the tawniest hair fell to her hips. Around her neck was a large golden necklace, and she wore a tunic of diverse colors over which a thick mantle was fastened with a brooch. So she was tall and had amazing kinky red hair. <laughs> um, according, to, according to Cassius Dio, who is notably obsessed with fashion, it seems like he talks about fashion a lot in his accounts, which I also find kind of funny. Um, the Iceni lands covered present-day Norfolk and parts of Suffolk and Cambridgeshire. So basically this pocket of land in the middle of the east coast of the UK, uh, British, British Isles. And the Iceni were actually kind of, they were kind of a significant power in Eastern Britain. Uh, when Claudius conquered Britain in AD 43, uh, they actually, the Iceni had allied with Rome, which was part of what led to Rome's success in, in that conquering. Um, but it wasn't, it was kind of an uneasy allyship. And the Iceni revolt in 47, uh, and at which point Rome lets them stay like pseudo-independent. Um, but their alliance apparently still held enough value because Prasitagus, in his will, leaves half of his kingdom to his heirs, his daughters he had with Boudicca, and the other half he leaves to Nero because he supposedly thought that it would help to keep Rome friendly enough to consider this loose agreement for Iceni independence when he died. But this utterly backfires. And when Prasitagus dies in 60 or 61, Rome is like, oh, this tribe is ours now. And here's where we have Boudicca's origin story. Okay, first I'll say Cassius Dio, our least favorite historian, he essentially tells us the whole origin of Boudicca's rebellion is because she got sick of paying taxes to Rome and she rallies up all her neighbors who feel the same way, blah, 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 blah. But since we've already established that his version is widely thought to be the least accurate, I'm just going to say, well, maybe part of that is true. I think Tacitus's version seems a little bit more plausible. And Tacitus tells us that upon Prasitagus's death, quote, his kingdom was pillaged by centurions, his household by slaves, as though they had been prizes of war. As a beginning, his wife, Boudicca, was subjected to the lash and his daughters violated. All the chief men of the Icenians were stripped of their family estates, and the relatives of the king were treated as slaves. And Boudicca, to put it shortly, gets really mad about this. She rallies all of her people and all the neighboring people and tribes, and she leads them to the nearest Roman colony, which was Camulodunum, and... The hatred was really fresh for Camulodunum because the Romans more recently had had established this colony. They'd kicked a bunch of the locals out of their houses and enslaved them. 
And that, and that was pretty, pretty recent, so everything is very fresh. And Boudicca and her Britons stormed Camelodunum. And the colony had just enough time and just enough heads up to request backup from their procurator, who is Caius Dicianus. De- and he sends them 200 soldiers who are supposedly ill-armed. <laughs> and apparently those men were able to hole up in the temple in the middle of the city for a good two days. But the rest of the colony was razed to the ground. And then eventually the Britons get through the temple too. Uh, and, and here's the part of the story I find super impressive. The Ninth Legion, under their commander Patilus Carialis, wasn't very far away, and when word of the rebellion spread, he moved his troops to intervene at Camelodunum, like outside of it after the, the main raising of the city had happened. But, quote Tacitus, the victorious Britons routed the legion and slaughtered the infantry to a man, end quote. Kyrialis is able to narrowly escape death, and the procurator, Dicianus, also escapes and runs away to Gaul because he has no respect anymore now that he kind of like lost control of the whole situation here. And Boudicca and her ragtag army is victorious. And they're brutal in their victory. The historians both kind of collectively are pretty clear that Boudicca and her army took no slaves or prisoners. Not a single person was left alive, save for those couple that had escaped. Also, apparently, and I found this one funny, a bronze statue to the Emperor Nero, which stood in front of the temple, temple was decapitated, and its head was taken as a trophy. Now, Boudicca's army, though, is not satiated just with Camulodunum, and immediately they set their sights on Lindinium, and they start marching there. Now, Governor General Gaius Suetonius Paulinus had been running a big campaign to take over the Isle of Mona, so the other side of the the whole island, basically. And he was already heading back uh, after his victory there when he gets word of all this drama in Camelodunum. And he knows Boudicca and her troops are going to head toward Londinium, so he starts heading there. But by the time he gets to Londinium, Boudicca's numbers have continued to grow and grow and grow. And at this point, she outnumbers him. And Londinium itself as a city, as a settlement, is clearly to him a really poor strategic place to hunker down. So despite all of the begging from the locals, he packs up his troops and he leaves them there. And Boudicca and her berserker crew arrive and they decimate Londinium. And Tacitus specifically takes a lot of time in his text mentioning how the people left there were all women and children and they were old and disabled and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Cassius Dio spends a lot of time describing some really disgusting things that Boudicca and her troops do to their victims. Uh, I'm not, I don't really care to repeat them right now. You can look it up if you want to, but since Cassius Dio is not a very reliable narrator, it's not worth mentioning. And also, I can't help but think for both of those, you know, descriptions of what Boudicca and her troops do, it it makes a pretty powerful woman look pretty bad, which I think is really convenient for the Romans. And uh, both our historians are Romans. So I think, you know, we, we can take that all with a grain of salt, right? Anyway, Boudicca at this point then moves on to 
verulamayum, I think is pronounced, and they also raise that to the ground, leaving nobody living. And Tacitus tells us that between Londinium and Verulamium, quote, close to 70,000 Roman citizens and allies fell, which is a lot of people at this period of time. Now, Paulinus, General Paulinus, he didn't fully run away when he left Londinium. History generically recognizes him for being a pretty strategic military leader. So even though he let those cities burn because they weren't strategic places to fight from, um, it's it's supposedly because he knew that they weren't strategic places. So he moves his troops to probably somewhere along Watling Street, which is the main the main road that cut across the whole island. And he's also able, in this time while he's moving his troops, he's able to collect more troops, more legions from nearby locations. And so at this point, he's got 10,000 soldiers. And he's got a much more advantageous position in a gorge with woods behind him. And Cassius Dio says at this point, Boudicca had amassed as many as 300,000 fighters. So 10,000 versus 300,000. Holy shit. But Paulinus had this amazing position in the gorge. And here's the point in both of the histories where Boudicca gives epic speeches to her soldiers, probably none of which are remotely accurate, because even if a Roman got close enough to hear it, like originally, they didn't speak her freaking language. <laughs> so so for the sake of of general awesomeness of the speeches, I'll read I'll read Tacitus's version right now. Quote, Boudicca mounted in a chariot with her daughters before her, rode up to clan after clan and delivered her protest. It was customary, she knew, with Britons to fight under female capacity, but now she was avenging, not as queen of glorious ancestry, her ravaged realm and power, but as a woman of the people, her liberty lost, her body tortured by the lash, the tarnished honor of her daughters. Roman cupidity had progressed so far that not their very persons, not age itself, nor maidenhood were left unpolluted. Yet heaven was on the side of their camps or looking around them for a way of escape. They would never face even the din and roar of those many thousands, far less their onslaught and their swords. If considered in their own hearts, the forces under arms and the motives of the war on that field they must conquer or fall. Such was the purpose of a woman. The men might live and be slaves. End quote. <laughs> Is this epic, this epic um, scene from a movie, right? Paulinus gives a big speech too in both the versions of these histories, but he's not the hero of the story, so I'm not going to quote those. You can look them up on your own if you're curious. But the battle commences. And... I won't belabor the facts, although some of the histories are very detailed and some of the other histories that have been written since then are even more detailed. But the fact is that Boudicca's army gets absolutely decimated. And even the wives and the kids who came to watch their dads and uncles fight in this battle because they were so confident they were going to win, apparently even they are killed by Paulinus and his terrible soldiers. And Tacitus tells us that in this battle, little less, quote, little less than 80,000 Britons fell at a cost of some 400 Romans killed 
and a not much greater number of wounded. Boudicca ended her days by poison. Or, and that's an end quote on Tacitus, or Cassius Dio says that she died of an illness, which is so much lang- so much lamer than Tacitus' version. So we will just, you know, glide over that one. But that, my friends, is the story of Boudicca. Isn't she epic? Um, oh, it's a lot of talking just for me. I hope you're still with me. We're almost done, but I want to wrap up this epic story with a couple thoughts that you can mull on. In my research on Boudicca, it's really interesting to me that many of the other historians, including Tacitus and Cassius Dio, but not just them either, the historians that happened after them and have analyzed the books or whatever of how the fights happened, they all spend a lot of time talking about how Roman leadership didn't do a good job of fortifying their hold on Britannia before this happened. And a lot of these dudes, and they're always dudes in in the notes, the people writing these articles are always dudes. They always say that it's the only reason that Boudicca's revolt had any monicum of success. In fact, part of the reason I'm covering Boudicca today is that I am currently performing in a play about her at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, Battle Song of Boudicca. Um, And we've taken some artistic liberties with the story to make it more interesting and palatable for everyone watching. And so it's not a bunch of boring Tacitus regurgitations, right? But I'll tell you that even on Facebook last week, someone commented on our event posting that, quote, Boudicca got her teeth kicked in once she met real soldiers. And I just want to call bullshit on that narrative. Because, like... Sure, many things went wrong in the way things were handled by the Roman leaders, but the truth is that they totally underestimated the native tribe's capacity in so many ways, in particularly assuming that they couldn't organize together or fight well, and that they had been subdued into subjugation. And even though it is true that Boudicca loses to the 14th Legion and Paulinus, she still destroyed the 9th Legion. And a legion is a legion, folks. So just think about that. And whenever you read histories and whenever you read the dude's rendition of it, just think about, you know, who it was convenient for to tell that version of the narrative. Because I think, you know, most often we don't hear the other side. And in this case, we have the Roman side because all the historians are Romans. But uh, I think that Boudicca was an absolute badass, tried and true. And even though there's apparently still haters out there today, she is a legend and a hero in the UK today. And there's statues of her all over. So when you're in the UK and you see a picture of Boudicca, now you know the story behind that badass broad. To learn more about Boudicca and see the pictures of the statues and the quotes from Tacitus and Cassius Dio, visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and you can read more about me. All the stuff I've done, my links to social, other cool stuff. And speaking of social, are you following us yet? Broads You Should Know is on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, the best thing you can do to help spread the word about us is to leave us a review on your podcasting platform and share your favorite episode with your friends and family. That really helps new listeners to find us, and we love new listeners. 
Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. And finally, if you really enjoyed hearing Boudicca's story, then I highly recommend you check out a few of our other previous Warrior Broad Queen episodes, including Olga of Kiev, Vishpala, and Tomiris, as well as Queens Ranavalana the First, Second, and Third in Madagascar, and the Three Queens of the Virgin Islands. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.